So we're in the book of Philemon this evening. We had just finished our sermon series, Walking Through the Pastoral Epistles. And so we finished that up last week, and I was thinking about where to go uh, earlier this week. And for some reason, for whatever reason, the book of Philemon stuck out in my brain. Uh, Philemon is an interesting book. It is a very personal letter, and it's nestled, again, right in between some rich theology. You have the theology of the church, so to speak, in the books of First and Second Timothy and Titus, and then you have the incredible covenantal theology of Hebrews, and in the middle of that, right in the middle of that, you have the letter to Philemon. You'll notice it is a letter that is extremely personal. It's a letter that appears as if it's just a sort of uh, personal correspondence of a man to a man. And it appears as if there's no uh, superior benefit for uh, people like you and I reading it some 2,000 years later or so. But I, I actually think that there's a lot that we can learn here. Because I think the personality of this letter kind of belies, I think, what really is going on in the book of Philemon. I don't think it's any sort of isolated or obscure fragment of the New Testament. Actually, I think contained within this letter, to contained within Paul's correspondence to Philemon here, I think we have one of the most striking portraits of the gospel ever presented in the New Testament. Actually, ever presented in the scriptures. Philemon is, I think, one of the more important books to understand and to know and to study. So here, I'm just going to walk through it really quick. Walk through the letter and see this incredible portrait as Paul really applies that rich theology. Again, the rich theology that he has written about in books like Romans and Galatians and all throughout his epistles. And now he's applying it uh, very distinctly and very particularly in real life. So he writes, verse 1 again, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ unto Timothy our brother. And to Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, he writes to this one Philemon. This one who is obviously a co-worker in the ministry of the gospel. You have to understand Philemon here, he, he is a wealthy slave-holding Christian who is living and worshiping in the city of Colossae. This is, of course, that's where the letter for the Colossians comes from. And Philemon is believed to have been saved under Paul's teaching, most likely because of the proximity of, Col- of the city of Colossae to the city of Ephesus, and because of Paul's very prominent ministry there in Ephesus, that it's very likely that Philemon came to know the Lord under Paul's ministry and teaching. And then Paul references uh, Philemon's zeal for the ministry, because after his conversion, we see here that he starts a church in, thy, in his house. He writes, And to our beloved Apipha and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, Philemon's house. If you go over to Colossians chapter 4, you'll see that name Archippus pop, pop up once again. Colossians chapter 4 verse 17, it says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. There's a ministry, there's a work of the Lord going on here in, in the city of Colossae. And it's under sort of the, uh, the ministry hand of this one Archippus. Likely the pastor of this home church here, as he's mentioned, as a fellow soldier in the trenches, so to speak, in the ministry for the gospel. But what's most evident to me throughout this letter is just Paul's uh, intense care for this, for this one Philemon. 
He mentions him over and over again as a brother in Christ, as one that he dearly loves, a co-worker in the ministry. And what's interesting, as Paul finishes his you know, customary greeting with verse 3, where he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What stands out to me is actually what's missing. What, what, what's missing from Paul's greeting here as he opens this letter? Well, in fact, I think it's the very simple, uh, he doesn't reference himself as an apostle. Did you notice that? He actually references himself as a prisoner. And actually nowhere in this letter will you hear himself call himself the apostle. Jesus Christ's apostle. In fact, over and over again, four times, he references himself as the prisoner. Or he references chains or bonds. He says there at the beginning, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Then look at verse 9. He says, yet for love's sake... I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul, the aged, and now also prisoner of Jesus Christ. He continues, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds or chains. Then look at verse 13. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. And look at verse 23. There salutes Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, in Christ Jesus, over and over again, he's mentioning this idea of being in bonds and chains for the sake of the gospel. And I think it's very indicative here what Paul is doing. He is appealing to Philemon as another brother in Christ, as a fellow laborer for the ministry of the gospel. He's not laying down the apostolic hammer, so to speak, saying, here's what you have to do because I am God's voice and I'm the anointed of God. I'm an apostle and here's how you have to obey. Instead, he's appealing to him as a brother, man to man, so to speak. And in fact, in verses 8 and 9, uh, he appeals to Philemon almost as if he's uh, pulling the heartstrings. He appeals to Philemon on the basis of love. Look at what he says. Verse 8. Wherefore, Paul says, Though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, let for, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You see what he's doing there? He says, I could have, I, I can, I can pull the apostle card, so to speak, but I'm not going to do that. I could, I have all of the grounds and the boldness and the confidence in order to, uh, to enjoin thee as an apostle, as an authority of Christ here. And he says, but I'm not. I rather beseech thee. I beseech thee as a friend. I'm writing to you as Paul the aged, he says. Aged is actually a word which could mean Paul the elder, either referencing his age, but it also could mean, because the word aged there, could also be translated ambassador. And he's saying, I'm writing to you as an ambassador on behalf of someone else. I'm writing to you now as a friend to a friend for one that we also have in our midst. And so therefore, as an ambassador, who is Paul representing? Well, of course, that's verse 10. I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus. He's writing on behalf of this guy, Onesimus. You have to understand, Onesimus was a slave in Philemon's household. 
He worked for Philemon. He worked for him doing his bidding. And at some point, we don't know when, it's not necessarily specified in our text or in the book of Acts, Onesimus flees likely to the city of Rome. He runs away. He is now a fugitive slave. And he's also wanted because it's believed, as is referenced elsewhere in this letter, that he takes something from Philemon. Not just himself as a slave running away. He also takes something with him. Takes money or property or some such thing. So it makes Onesimus have now a price on his head. In this day and age he could very likely be executed for what he has done. And such is why he goes to Rome. Such is why he goes to the city of Rome. Because the dense population would make it really easy to hide. He could just kind of blend in and not be noticed. And kind of go undetected. And then surprisingly... Or unsurprisingly, depending on how you look at it, Onesimus makes contact with a Roman prisoner whose name is Paul. (laughs) Paul here is writing this letter from the prison in Rome. And somehow, someway, Onesimus comes into contact with Paul. Of course, this is not by accident at all. It's by God's sovereign grace that this is allowed to happen. And Onesimus is brought under the tutelage of the apostle Paul. And Paul leads him to the Lord. Paul, as he is in chains, he's still distributing the gospel of grace. And he saves this one Onesimus, this runaway slave. He brings him to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Such is why he says in verse 10, that I have begotten him in my bonds. Just like Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Onesimus is Paul's son in the faith. Begotten in chains, so to speak. And he notes this. Drastic change in Onesimus' life. Look at verse 11. Whom I have sent again, or excuse me, that's verse 12. (laughs) Verse 11, which is in time past, was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. This one who was unprofitable before, now he's profitable again. This is the way of the gospel. It has changed Onesimus' life. He's writing. He's saying, I've seen it. The gospel has made this runaway stop in his tracks. And he's turned. And now he is profitable again. But it's also, you have to see the cleverness of Paul. Because Paul, he's using a play on words, so to speak. Because he's not just highlighting the, the change from unprofitability to profitability in terms of ministry in the life of Onesimus. You have to see he's actually playing on words with Onesimus' very name. Onesimus, his name is a Greek name which comes from the words profitable or useful. So therefore, he's actually saying the useful one who was useless to you at one point is now useful again. The change in his very life has fundamentally altered Onesimus' life because of the gospel. It's changed him from the inside out. He's useful to you and to me again. Notice what he says. Which in time past, verse 11 again, was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, my own bowels, whom I have retained with me, whom, or excuse me, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing. That thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. 
You can see Paul writing and writing on behalf of Philemon, or on behalf of Onesimus here. And he's highlighting to, to Philemon just exactly the change that's happened in Onesimus' life. And now he is so profitable to Paul in the ministry that he says, I would like to keep him with me. He ministers unto me. I'm able to disciple him and he is able to minister unto me. But he says, but because of your mind, thinking of your stead and in your case, I'm returning, to, I'm returning him to you. And he says that this is probably for a reason. You notice what he, I like how he words it in verse 15. That even this crazy circumstance of a runaway slave happening to come into contact with Paul himself. He writes, maybe this was for a reason. That he departed for you for only a season that you might receive him forever. Which is again hinting at the spiritual connection between these two men now. And he says, verse 16, not now as a servant... But above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more to thee, both in the flesh and to the Lord. He's right here. He's saying now that you can receive him, receive him back. Yes, not only as a servant, but actually above a servant, as a brother in Christ. And he says, do this because of why? Look at verse 17. Here we get to some incredible words from Paul. He says, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. What incredible words. This runaway slave has gone far away. And now Paul is actually doing something quite radical. He is actually sending him back to his master. Which is actually putting Onesimus at the risk of execution. And he says charge all of the damages that he has caused you. Put that on my account. Put that on me. Again. Paul, an apostle, is taking the place of a slave, a fugitive slave, one who deserved death. He says, charge that to my account. I will pay off all of his debts at my own expense. And notice, it's sort of, he writes almost like a blank check to Philemon. He says, if he hath wronged thee, or if he oweth thee aught, if he owes thee anything... He doesn't even perhaps know the full extent of what he is owed to Philemon. And he says, whatever it is, put that on me. I'll write the check. I'll endorse it. I'll sign off on it. And why? Because of this incredible change that has happened. For this, Paul would greatly rejoice. Look at what he says in verse 20. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels, refresh the deepest part of me in the Lord. That's what he's saying, that you receiving him now as he is, as a a slave, but even more than a slave, as a brother. That would refresh me, that would enliven me, encourage me in the Lord, he says. And he's also confident in Philemon's obedience. Look at verse 21. 
Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. He's confident that Philemon's understanding of the gospel, yes, perhaps even likely because of Paul's own ministry, would now result in Philemon not just doing exactly what Paul says, but it says that he would go above and beyond that. That thou wilt also do more than I say. And not only that, verse 22, but withal prepare also... Prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Not only is he asking Philemon to receive Onesimus back into his household, and not just receive him as a hired hand, receive him as a brother. He's also saying, yeah, guess what, I'm going to come visit you, prepare a place for me to stay. It's an incredible scene, incredible letter. I have to note this, that I think when applying this letter to us, I don't necessarily, I, I don't think Paul is addressing the issue of slavery as a social issue. Some claim that this is Paul's point, that this is sort of an emancipation letter for this one Onesimus. I don't necessarily see that idea. I think, of course, that the gospel, especially as Paul presents it, It automatically is opposed and is adamantly opposed to the inhuman treatment of fellow image bearers as slaves. You can see that even his letter to the the Colossian church. Let me read you a verse from Colossians chapter 3. Relevant since he also mentioned Archippus there. Colossians 3 verse 11 says... Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, slave nor free man, but Christ is all in all. This, of course, is a byproduct, an outcome of the gospel. The idea that this is an emancipation letter, so to speak, on Paul writing on behalf of Onesimus likely is inferred from verse 16 where he calls him to a a better brotherhood, so to speak, of receiving one another. And of course, Paul insists throughout his New Testament writing the fact that there is level ground in the gospel. That this is what the gospel does. Notwithstanding race, status, nationality, background, creed, anything. All of it is, comes down to whether you have faith in this Jesus or you don't have faith. It levels the ground. But I think, personally, I don't see it as sort of an abolitionist letter. He's writing, yes, of course, for the behalf of Onesimus. Writing to him and saying, uh, writing to Philemon and saying, receive him now because of the gospel. In this situation, he is writing here and pointing to the fact that the gospel, this is what it leads us to do. He's confident that Philemon will exceed the expectations of his request, which was already a lot. Because think about it, it's an unthinkable request that Paul is making. He's asking Philemon to forgive a fugitive slave and not only forgive him and receive him back as a hired servant, but receive him as a brother. Above a servant, he says in verse 16. And not only that, receive him exactly as you would receive me, he says. I think that's incredible. 
He's putting himself in Onesimus' place. Philemon, receive him. Welcome him back into your home exactly as you would welcome me. But I think what's interesting is that, again, back to the personal nature of the letter, Paul leaves the outcome really up to Philemon. We don't know. It's not mentioned in our text or anywhere else in the scriptures what the outcome of this letter was. Well, you see, he's leaving it into Philemon's care. He's writing him as a brother. Here's what the gospel informs us to do. And I'm not telling you to do it because I'm an apostle. I'm telling you to do this because I'm a brother and a friend. And we are partners in the ministry. But we don't really know what happened to Onesimus. Was he emancipated from his employment? Did he remain employed? How did it change the relationship? Was he... uh, Was he executed? Was he uh, put in prison? We don't know. But what we do know is that Paul is calling for this transformation of relationship. And he's confident that Philemon will acquiesce to this because he understands the gospel. Can you imagine that scene though? Letters were written and read aloud. It was a big ordeal. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon, and he's handing it to Onesimus, and Onesimus is then handing it to Philemon. (laughs) And then Philemon is reading it out loud in front of this runaway slave. And he's reading Paul's words. Perhaps in this little church that meets in their house. He's reading it in front of their little group, their congregation there. (laughs) Philemon, for all he knows... Onesimus is still a runaway fugitive slave. He's unaware of the spiritual transformation in Onesimus' life until he reads the words of Paul here. They didn't have texting. They didn't have email. So Paul couldn't text him and say, guess what happened? Guess who I ran into? So Philemon, he's unaware of all of what has transpired until this letter comes into his face. He's reading out loud the words of Paul. And he reads words that are not words of manipulation. Words which Paul is trying to manipulate Philemon in order to do something. He's words which pointedly show what the gospel does in real life. It transforms our relationships. It transforms how we receive one another. All on the basis of Jesus Christ. But Paul, that's what he does. He leaves all authority in this letter with Jesus. He doesn't lay down the apostolic hammer again. He leaves the authority with the gospel. Here's what it calls us to do. And here's what it calls us to do because of Jesus. Jesus, you see, I think, is the key to understanding this letter. (laughs) The key to understanding all of scripture, but especially this letter. 25 verses... And the names Jesus or Christ appear eight times throughout the letter. It's prevalent in this letter what Paul is thinking about. That the work of Jesus in his own life is just led to a prominence of Jesus in his entire life. But I think it's realizing too that Paul here is not just speaking on behalf of Jesus. I think he's actually... Typifying, He's representing Jesus in a very real way. And what I mean by that, look again at verse 17. He says, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Receive him as you were to receive me. 
And if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. See what he's doing? As we already mentioned, Paul is appeasing Philemon, offering to pay off all of Onesimus' damages by himself. He's acting, acting as collateral for Onesimus' offense in and of himself. Taking full responsibility and liability for all of Onesimus' wrongdoings. He says, put that on my account. Or it can also be translated, impute that to me. Put that on my shoulders, on my stead. And this is where we get that remarkable picture that comes out and so clearly to me in this letter. That what Paul did for Onesimus, Jesus has done for you and me. Paul is therefore acting very much like Jesus here in this letter. Because what does Jesus do? Jesus is the righteous one who comes and stands and speaks for us, the unrighteous. And he stands and says, put that on my account. Put all the sins of the world, put it to me. Charge it unto me. Jesus is the one who offers to pay off all of our debts in and of himself. And he pledges to resolve all the damages done by our sin, by his own blood. And he pleads with the Father to forgive rebels and fugitives of his righteousness. To be received again and viewed just as he himself was standing there. This is what happens in our justification. When we are declared righteous by a holy and a loving God. Then when we are seen, we aren't seen as sinners. We're seen as righteous. Why? Because we are seen, as it says in Colossians, in the shadow of Christ. We are seen in Him. Because when we put our faith in Him, we are in Christ Jesus forever. So you see, this is what Jesus says for us on our behalf. Receive them, Jesus says, as you would receive me on the basis of my atoning and paying work for all of their sins. He's standing for us. And then we stand with a righteousness not our own. With a freedom that we didn't earn. A freedom we didn't deserve. A a, a standing which we had no business owning. And Jesus gives it to us. Paul, as he says there in verse 19, I'm writing this with my own hand. I'm sealing it with my own signature. Jesus has a better promise because he seals what he does for us with his own blood that was shed on the cross. I have done this, Jesus is saying. This is me. You are Onesimus and I am Paul and I am working all of the time to work out your freedom. Your freedom from sin. Your freedom from justice, uh, condemnation and death. So therefore as Paul represents Jesus, we are represented in Onesimus. We are the runaways, the fugitives, the sinners. The very sinners for whom Jesus serves as the substitute. The very sinners for whom Jesus finds. The very sinners for whom Jesus runs after. Martin Luther. 
commenting on this letter, has a wonderful paragraph. He says this. What Christ has done for us with God the Father, that St. Paul does also for Onesimus with Philemon. For Christ emptied himself of his rights and overcame the Father with love and humility so that the Father had to put away his wrath and rights and receive us into the favor for the sake of Christ who so earnestly advocates our cause and so heartily takes our part. For we are all his Onesimuses if we believe. The good news of Philemon then is the good news that we are God's Onesimuses. Runaway slaves for whom Christ has interceded and advocated with the Father on their behalf. Advocated to, uh, that the, the, the law of sin and death would not be charged to them. That they would be freed. That they would be received as he is received. Thus, that's how you see that this letter is just brimming with the gospel. It's full of that substitutionary work that Jesus does. That Jesus performs on our behalf. H.A. Ironside, the famous orator, he says this letter, Philemon, sets forth most beautifully the great truths of forgiveness on the ground of the expiatory work of another. And the acceptance in the beloved. This Work of Jesus. It changed Onesimus' life. It changed Philemon's life. It changes our lives. Because this is what he has done for us. Jesus has stood in our place. Has, as it says in Colossians, I think it's chapter 2. He has nailed all the handwriting that was against us. And he's nailed it to that tree. Putting all the enemies that were against us to an open shame, he says. That no more is the handwriting of the law against us in that stead. Why? Because it has been done and put away with because of his work. Jesus, he does this on our behalf. He did it on behalf of Onesimus and the gospel. And he does it on behalf of you and I. So that we are freed from sin and death. Jesus says, charge that to my account. Therefore, it's good news because we are all God's Onesimuses. Let us pray.